and welcome to the Marketing Meetup Podcast. I'm Joe. Thank you so much for listening today. Today we have a replay of an episode from last year, last April it was, with Jay Akunzo. Jay is an experienced uh, keynote speaker in the United States, uh, very, very well known over there. And, you know, well, well known over here too, but I'd say that his core audience in the US Jay is someone who I really resonate with because he's someone who really takes the time to seek out substance in his content. He's someone who does his best to really focus on the individual rather than the mass to seek out long-term gain over short-term sort of hits of dopamine. He's someone who I just think cares. He cares about the people he creates for, he creates about the content he creates. And therefore, it inevitably ends up being high quality, interesting and useful. In this this interview, uh, we go through how to resonate more deeply with your audience. Uh, Jay is someone who really cares about affinity, about resonance, and uh, someone who really cares about that creative process too. He's a really fascinating individual, and I think you'll really enjoy this episode. With all that said, I'm now going to hand over to the interview that I held with Jay last April. I really hope you enjoy it and uh, take care. Um, so Jay, I, today is just a, a Q&A, so I guess I should open up with a question. Okay. So, uh, what is the greatest Disney movie of all time? yes one of life's most important one of works let's forget life for a moment because we're all focused on work on this call we're all focused on marketing one of marketing's most important questions is what is the greatest disney film of all time we could throw it in the chat (laughs) uh i would love to hear what other people think lion king hands down from diane uh i'm seeing obviously aladdin from ahmed i'm seeing oh that's it's going too fast now the new movie Encanto. Oh, interesting. I hadn't seen that. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, it's hard to pair the names and the answers that are coming so quickly. I'm seeing a lot of Aladdin, a Robin Hood mention, Lion mm. King, a million percent, Lady and the Tramp. There's a oh, interesting Pinocchio, Coco. Yeah, my, my toddler would probably agree at this point in time, if not Frozen, of course. Sorcerer's mm. Apprentice, Nightmare Before Christmas. These are all excellent answers in that they represent something I want to talk about. Unfortunately, while I value your opinions, everyone, you are wrong. The greatest <laughs> Disney film of all time is in fact a goofy movie. And I'm here to explain why. And it has everything to do with our work. So here's why it's the best Disney film of all time. When I was in college, I lived in this off-campus house. So I went to school, tiny school, not a lot of real estate around the campus, but there was a couple of choice houses that upperclassmen, seniors in particular, would rent for the school year. And so we were so lucky, my friends and I rented one of these homes. And it was falling apart. It was a terrible looking house. The balcony off the front was like this. You'd put a tennis ball at the door, it'd roll to the front pretty quickly, but we'd pack it full of people. And we'd be at this house, you know, doing shenanigans. And one night uh, of completely sober mind, I assure you all, uh, three or four of my friends and I started talking about movies and somebody threw out a goofy movie. And we were all like, oh my God, I haven't seen that movie in forever. And so we found it online and watched it. And then we learned a dance that comes from the movie. So fans of the movie will recognize there's a fake pop star named Powerline. Everybody should go over to Spotify and listen to Powerline because that slaps. That guy is legit. It's actually played by a real pop pop singer, uh, Tevin Campbell. 
So real, real skill behind the voice. So they created some original tracks for the movie, including a dance that Goofy leads while on stage with Powerline. Long story, you should see the film. The dance is called The Perfect Cast. And it's this weird herky-jerky motion that Goofy does when he's fishing. And when he gets on stage, he's not sure what else to do. And so his son says, hey, dad, do the perfect cast. So he does a, a, an amalgam of his fishing cast as a dance. So my friends and I learned it. We learned it exactly as it appears in the film. Spoiler alert, we didn't. We would do that dance at parties all the time. And everyone thought we were so cool. Spoiler alert, they didn't. But the fact remains, that is why a Goofy movie is the greatest film of all time, at least in Disney canon. I think a funny thing is going on here. We all had different answers, but I didn't ask for your opinion. Neither did Joe. What we were talking about is what is the best Disney film of all time? And if there were such a ranking, some kind of methodology that we all agreed is the absolute best, how do you rank the number one? We would all agree. Oh, well, according to the ranking, with this system we all opt into, that's how you rank films, that's how you rank Disney films. Well, the number one film is whatever. We would agree to that, but we all had different answers. Why? It's because when we say words like the best, what we're really interpreting it as, and then communicating back to others is my favorite. And in our work, especially as marketers, I think we run around the world too much trying to be the best, trying to be the biggest, trying to be some objectively top ranked thing, when in reality, the goal is not to be the best. The goal is to be their favorite. And that is an entirely different aim. And I think something that we have a hand in, something that we can do, which is to resonate deeper on an emotional, personal level with others, because it's not about, are you objectively ranked as number one? Are you the biggest? Does that review site claim that you're the first one, second one, third one, whatever? whatever? What awards have you won? Are you the best? That's not actually the goal. And it doesn't matter if you are, because my favorite movie is probably not actually objectively the best Disney movie. I'll admit it. My favorite sports team is the New York Knicks. They're among the worst sports teams <laughs> in the last 20 years. Think about that. My favorite team is also among the worst in the cohort. Mm -hmm. Like something powerful is going on here that we can harness in marketing. We're focused on the wrong things. Don't be the best, be their favorite. And by the way, I'll admit, you might be right. Your favorite movie might be Soul. Your favorite movie might be Coco, whatever. That is far more powerful for me to know than any objective ranking. Because even if I said, look, I'm gonna convince you today, it's a goofy movie. You'd be like, I don't care. Because <laughs> that one over there, Coco, Frozen, Lion King is my favorite. And isn't the job of a marketer to create that level of irrational bias that people feel towards us, regardless of the choice, People pick you, stick with you, and stick up for you. That's our goal, is create irrational bias towards what we do. Right, right. The fact you can just come out like six <laughs> minutes into a chat and do that. I told you, it's a big cup of coffee. <laughs> it's a big cup of coffee. Uh, <laughs> we're getting some lovely comments through from Diane, Eva, Kelsey, Alana, all, all just uh, eulogizing basically what you were saying there. So thank you, my friend. Uh, we've got at least two mind-blown emojis coming through uh yeah this is special
Um, so um, I want to just sort of replay back what I heard uh, there from you, because okay. like um, I, I usually start a chat like this with definitions. And, and so the, the definition that I heard there for you for resonance uh, is about uh, building uh, favoritism in, in the minds of, of the customer. Um, is, is that it or is there, you know, a more concise or a different way of putting it, which sort of speaks yeah. to you how you view it better? We often pit, I think you can't say resonance to a group of marketers or creative people without the word reach coming into the conversation. Yeah. And I think because we mostly talk about reach and reach is often a proxy for resonance. It's like, oh, a million people follow them online. So they must be resonating with those people, right? Yeah. Or we talk about awareness in marketing, whereas yeah. awareness is still a proxy for what we actually want, which is affinity, right? If only more people were aware we existed, they would like us they would care about us. Well, how about we focus on the liking and the caring and what would cause someone to, to feel that way first and not assume that it's just a matter of getting in front of more people. That's not what marketing is. Um, so to define these words, reach and resonance, reach is how many people see it. Resonance is how much they care. That's the job of a marketer. It's not how many people see it. That is worthless unless they care, right? So describing things that they might care about. That's positioning, that's advertising, that's copywriting, creating things that they care about. That's content, that's experiences. We're in the job, we're in the emotions business. We're in the resonance business. And reach is either a byproduct of resonating because someone goes, oh my gosh, you're speaking to my soul. I'm telling a friend. <laughs> so they get you reach because you resonate. Yeah. Or if you are going outbound, if you are trying to turn the screws tighter and grow quicker than is natural, I understand. I don't advocate for it, but I get it. We all live through that reality. Then your reach efforts become easier because you're building up on a foundation of strong resonance. So reach is how many see it and resonance is how much they care. And for my money, great marketers focus not on who arrives, but who stays. Not on awareness, but on affinity, not on reach, but resonance. And I don't think we've learned how to do that. So I'm kind of on a mini investigation for the last few months and it'll go on throughout next year too to figure out what, what does it actually take to resonate? Because I think it's actually a learnable skill. Uh -huh. And where's that taken you so far? What's, what's been the sort of, what's, what's the journey look like so far? Some pretty interesting places. I mean, whenever you do one of these things, for me anyway, uh, so I'm Italian American and specifically my family comes from Sicily. And I don't know if people in the chat know this, but when you're born with any kind of Sicilian blood, it crawls up your arm and it leaves a chip on your shoulder for the rest <laughs> of your life. Uh, so that's just my default outlook on life and operating principle, I guess. So when I see something that I feel like is broken or clashes with my values, first is frustration. Mm -hmm. Why are we so obsessed with reach? Why are we so happy to follow someone with more followers instead of more engaged followers or all these symptoms. And you could probably name a ton more than I just named in the chat, but there's all these symptoms of people who have what you can purchase, but not necessarily earn. You can buy traffic, you can buy downloads, you can buy emails. You shouldn't, but you could, right? But you can only earn responses, time spent, evangelism. Those are earned, right? It's just harder to see those things. It's harder to maybe for us to measure it because there's not a nice neat tool that you can generate a chart to show. So I observed all that like for years in marketing and it never sat well with me. And it's like, I thought the point was to resonate with other human beings. Isn't that the point? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? 
It's not to put a name in the database. It's to create something that triggers an action. You know, working at HubSpot, I clashed with that team back then. Uh, not my team, but a lot of the other marketers or executives because they wanted to cram every meaty piece of content behind a long form that you had to fill out to unlock the content. And I was saying, wait a second, shouldn't the writing be good enough? The storytelling be strong enough? The education be valuable enough that as you're flipping through the pages of the ebook, you go, oh my gosh, I got to get in with these guys. In other words, resonance is about action. Like reach, that's, it's not about being visible. It's about being memorable, right? Like you're trying to trigger an action. That is marketing. <laughs> and we've forgotten that. And so what we do is we try to like coerce people into giving me the action now instead of creating things that do resonate deeply enough to spark that action. Mm -hmm. Right. Again, in the pages of the book, you decide I'm going to subscribe or I need more. Or at the end, you're like, did you enjoy this? Did you benefit? Share it with a friend. Subscribe on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Join my email list, whatever. The thing you're making should trigger the action. And we just forgot about that. So where has this taken me, Joe? It started with a lot of that. Just <laughs> being like, oh, my gosh, what's wrong? Why is this broken? Yeah. And then you flip frustration to uh -huh. curiosity. Uh -huh. well, why do we operate this way? What does resonance mean? What do we learn from the sciences or psychology? Uh, who has resonated? And then what I do is I use my own newsletter every Friday to write stories or observe the world from my perspective around that topic. And I use my podcast, Unthinkable, to tell other people's stories. And together, we're kind of on this joint journey. When I say we, I mean my, myself and subscribers to figure this out together. Right? So hopefully in the distance we have, who knows? guides, books, courses, speeches, a spin-out series. I, I don't quite know, but we're all on this journey together, which is somewhat exciting. Amazing. I love it. So I'm going to play devil's advocate here a little bit um, because, the you know, I'm, I'm with you. You know, I'm with you, dude. You know, I, I've spent, you know, alongside this amazing community building something that matters for the past five years, you know, and... I do that, you know, you sort of see those tweets from time to time that sort of say, uh, oh, we didn't spend a, a single dollar on advertising and stuff like, or in fact, no, sorry, we didn't spend a single dollar on marketing, which of course is bullshit. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's, that's yeah. a load of rubbish because time is money as well. Right. You know? and, but the devil's advocate here, and there will undoubtedly be people who are marketers working in organizations right now who sort of sat there and said, Jay, I'm with you, you know, from a marketing perspective, you know, like I am on this journey. Is this, but, is this the, but my boss? Objective. But my boss, it but is the boss. yeah, yeah. But my boss, and also, is it straying into build, uh, build it, and what they will come, sort of thing. So, yeah, absolutely. But my boss, sure. Well, we can we can parse those. There's two mm -hmm. great questions in the chat. I definitely want to get to from Faye and Paul. I want to absolutely. make sure we address those too. But just to address Joe's quickly, um, so Joe, you were talking about but my boss, and if you build it, they will come. Yeah, yeah. I think that second one is easier to knock down. Mm -hmm. uh, shipping your work is sharing your work. You're not shipping it to some hole somewhere or putting it in your Dropbox folder. Maybe you make that folder public or you put it on a website somewhere. Of course, part of the work is to ensure that you can be found or you can hand your work to someone else. I think generously, I think like a gift. I'm solving a problem. I'm trying to inspire you or push you or change something that we feel is broken in this world for our community. Here you go. This is what I found or built. The thing about the, you know, uh, if you build it, they will come idea is that I'm not actually going to anyone else, mm -hmm. which I think is folly. Mm -hmm. But I also, on the other end of that spectrum, I disagree that the job of marketers is to go cold to total strangers. So if you think about marketing less like a funnel 
mm-hmm. more like concentric circles where the outer ring is total strangers. And then you have all these gradations of relationship until you get to the bullseye in the middle, which is passionate fans. Yes. And so some of us probably already have passionate fans. And if they're not passionate enough to talk about you, to share what you're doing with other people, that's the problem. It's not a distribution problem, it's a product problem. It's a resonance problem, mm-hmm. right? So I think really good marketing today covers the circles that kind of go out to the middle of all those rings, like passive observers, even active audience, and mm-hmm. turn those, those people into super fans. And they should then go out to the outer rings of total strangers for you for free. But the idea that we can run around the world reaching people for the first time and somehow, some way convincing them we're awesome and that that is at all efficient. In other words, is that a good ROI? Is, are we spending wisely time or money or both? I, I, I don't think so. The person who discovers me on Twitter very rarely is gonna tumble through a lot of my content really quickly and get on my newsletter. Mm-hmm. Let's say that's the conversion activity. But over time they might, right? But there's somebody else out there that maybe already follows me on Twitter and then checked out my show and then read a blog post. And well, why aren't they on the newsletter? Well, they're close, right? So maybe I can appeal to them because they've gotten through a a few layers of friction in the way I describe things or share things or et cetera. So again, I think marketers today, the great ones focus on people who are already aware of you Mm -hmm. and the job is to make them really care for you. Nice. Um, so they create little armies of evangelists as a result. <laughs> no, but that's that's such a spot on point because I, I think it works on levels and speaks to my experience as a marketer and in, in two different experiences. Right. Uh, right. The first was working for an agency. Every client in the B2B world came on. When they came on, they actually felt like friends already. You know, and it was sort of like, you know, it wasn't through inbound activity as such. It was just like, you know, like, oh, you know, my boss Luca knew someone who happened to become a client. Oh wait, they actually happened to be, you know, X grand a month or, or whatever it may be. But actually they've been through that process in a yep, way yep. that they, they become from strangers to friends. And, and, I, I feel terrible about giving advice to other podcasters about sponsors because mm-hmm. all the sponsors I've ever worked with, I've had a, have had a pre-existing relationship with. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's actual human to human. I've met you before. Most times it's, you know, I put out a call saying, Hey, I'm looking for new sponsors for my show. And I'll get a DM from a marketer that I've never learned their name before, but they've been interacting with my content or benefiting from it for a little while. So the relationship is there. And I think the problem we get into is right when we need something from other people, we need you to take an action because it'll benefit us. We don't have the pre-existing relationships with people. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be this like ABM one-to-one B2B style of marketing. It could just be they're already aware of you. They already think highly of you. They've already spent some time with you and they've reached the tipping point, mm-hmm. right? So we're not laying that groundwork um, first. Quickly on the boss thing, but my boss, I used to think, cause this happened to me like in the real world, that this is real, but in the physical world, <laughs> yeah. this is also physical. In the in-person <laughs> world, this is also in person. When I would fly somewhere to meet other people and be able to touch their hand, uh, I would get off a stage and people go, yeah, this is all great. Oh my God, this is great. But my boss. And I used to think, what's the hidden psychology of persuasion? Mm -hmm. What's the secret methodology? And then two things would happen. One is I would ask a very simple question, which is, have you tried to have the conversation? Mm -hmm. So I think 75% of people who are like, yeah, this is great, but my boss, Mm -hmm. they have a boogeyman boss looming in their minds, which is Mm -hmm. not their real boss. Like that's not actually who Sarah is. Sarah, the CMO, is not the boogeyman version you've made her out to be if you're willing to have a frank, gentle conversation, mm-hmm. right? What's the, 
what's the branding of this whole group here? Mm -hmm. It's not aggressively annoying. Yeah. What is it? Positively <laughs> Positive. lovely. Yeah. So go have that kind of conversation with someone else. I'm trying to solve a problem here. I have some ideas. I'd like to discuss that with you. Mm -hmm. But even the second thing I wanted to say about the but my boss is right there in the way I just couched it is I'm a problem solver. I'm not an idea pusher. I'm not an agenda pusher. I'm also not my ideas. So what I have to be willing to do to convince a boss or at least have a dialogue with that boss is to say, I understand where you're trying to go. I share your goals, not your goals are wrong. You think short term, whatever. I understand where you'd like to go. I share your goals. And here are those goals. And I think I found a better way or a new way to get there, to get there faster, to get further than there. And I just want to have a conversation. So instead of sharing my idea right away, mm -hmm. I call this the green smoothie problem. Right here is a green smoothie. This is water, but pretend it's a green smoothie and you've never seen a green smoothie before. You're going to like run screaming because you're like, ew, gross, or <laughs> it looks too sweet. Mm -hmm. I've given you an idea that is a completed product or near to it and you have to make up all the steps to get there yourself. Mm, nice. Far better is if I say, I'd like to lay out some steps to an idea and then reveal the idea. And why am I doing this? The very first thing I said was, I share your goals. Mm -hmm. So you wanna grow the blog 50% month over month, boss. I get it. Well, here's what I'm thinking, right? I took some kale, some mango, some this, some that, and I threw it in a blender and added a little coconut oil. And in no time at all here, it's a green smoothie, wanna drink it? And now two things will happen. They'll be like, I get it. Thank you for explaining it to me that way. Yes, I'm in, I will drink it, go with your idea, let's do this. Or they still might say no, but they might just pump the brake instead of stop the car. They might say, I don't love kale. Can we take that out? Or how about we add in this new ingredient? Mm -hmm. So you make other people co-founders of your ideas by laying out your thinking. Even when your idea comes instantly, you have to reason it out for other people because they haven't been down the same journey you have. And I think that's how we talk to our bosses who are in our minds looming large as these boogie people standing in the way of us doing better work is we have to align with the goal, share it with them, acknowledge it up front, and then lay out our rationale and route to the idea. But what most creative people do is we just shove our ideas at people. And then we wonder why they said no and that we're stuck doing the same old. So I would make that attempt is have the conversation. They're probably a lot nicer than you think. But either way, explain your ideas such that people can get on board or at least build upon them and see the idea not as you, but as you trying to solve a problem that they also share. I love that. Thank you, mate. That's that's phenomenal. And actually almost quite naturally you've ended up answering uh, the question that came through in the chat from Barrett uh, all about goals as well so hopefully uh, Barrett that that feels uh, good to you uh, right there uh, Jay you you rightly pointed out there's some questions from the community uh, Let's do it. already sat there and, and folks if you want to get your questions in do pop them into the Q&A uh, there's already some open but if you equally if you like some of the questions make sure to give them a thumbs up so we can get them to the top uh, so the question comes from Jay uh, from Faye <laughs> to Jay, uh, who says, which brands do you truly think have their customers' feelings and emotions at the heart of their brand and communications? Yeah, I, I love that question. And by the way, I'm going to drop the article I wrote about the green smoothie problem into the chat. So there's a little bit more of the methodology laid out there, because I do think a framework for conversation with stakeholders is, is useful. So I'll put that in the chat. What a um, <laughs> the, um, the, the, 
Yes. So a couple of things. So one is I'm hesitant to always cite a brand that looks like us, right? So if you're a B2B marketer and you're like, what other B2B marketers, there's definitely stuff you can learn there. I tend to spend most of my time way outside of marketing. I learn from comedians. I learn from, you know, the people who truly have passionate fans because we all want this as marketers. We want to be that, like, you know, think of a, a musician who says, now I'm on TikTok. They just tweet, like, uh, find me on TikTok over here. And it's just like hundreds of thousands of people go over there and find them, right? That's what we want. Well, that's built not on the final object we see, a million Twitter followers, but on all the stuff they did to get that passion, right, and root to it. So I think caveat here is we should learn from outside our echo chamber. But while we're in it, uh, this positively lovely echo chamber that we're in, <laughs> I, I, on Unthinkable, we've been telling some stories of marketers lately who have been doing this. Um, and there is a company from the UK uh, called 360 Learning that I really admire what they've done. So 360 Learning, it, they sell learning management software. It is a saturated category. There's something like 200 competitors that this company has. And at the time they sort of started to switch their marketing onto this idea of resonance, they were not the biggest. They've since raised something like $200 million US in venture capital funding, which still doesn't make them the biggest, but they've grown. Yeah. <laughs> when they started this, they were a lot smaller. Mm -hmm. So they were predictably doing what a lot of brands like them do in their marketing for a time, publishing tips and tricks, you know, running ads about, do you need learning management software? Are you training your teams? Like great teams or educated teams, all that stuff. Then they had this guy who was running their video team. So it might've been just him and some contractors, Nicholas Merlod. And uh, then they also added a new head of content, Joey Chan. So very important characters in the story here, Nicholas and Joey. The day after Joey accepted her new job as head of content at 360 Learning, Nicholas shot her a text and said, Joey, would you mind if I followed you around with a camera throughout your onboarding process? And he didn't mean like, we're gonna film a couple meetings when you were in training. He meant every waking professional moment you had and a confessional to the camera about how the week was, every meeting, every, every interaction, on camera, every week for X number of weeks. Interested? She hasn't started the job yet. And they said, and she said, yes. And the resulting project became a show called Onboarding Joey. Now it is well-produced, it is professional looking. It looks like a docu-series you could find on Netflix, mm -hmm. but that's not the point. The glossy production is not the point. The reason it worked is what they were willing to put on display was the stuff everybody was thinking or going through and nobody wanted to acknowledge about onboarding to a new job, which was that it's a mess, it's hard. It's emotional. You deal with stuff outside of work that affects your ability to show up to work, especially when it's a new job and you want to show up well. So Joey went through the pandemic. She lost a loved one. She clashed with her boss and her peers. She had something told to her when she started the job, like, yes, you'll get that budget. And then it didn't happen. Right. What gives? We all go through these things. We all feel crazy that no one is pointing it out. Well, they put it on display. It's risky sounding, right? But instead of saying we're perfect at our company, buy from this perfect company, they said, we go through what you go through. And here's the story of how we get through it. And the result was this incredible response from the audience. This one phrase sums it all up. I feel seen. The 360 Learning did something that sort of tapped the personal emotional reasons their audience would care about onboarding to a new job. And oh, by the way, maybe need tools to help their employees do that. And the result wasn't viral sensation the result was i feel seen 
that's what we're in the business of doing is trying to help other people feel like whole people when we market to them, not like a job function, not like personas. And so that is one company that has ridden that initial project to greater resonance and therefore greater reach, I think, greater growth. And they've done a follow-up series and uh, even a spin-out show about another employee. So they've really dug into this idea of like, everyone is going through these underexplored things that we're hesitant to say out loud. We're going to put that stuff on display. And it's only because they waded into those murky waters, the human emotional waters of tension, of conflict internally, of not being sure how to grow your company, not being sure if the job is right for you anymore on you know, week three, all these very human things that doesn't sound like perfect brand, right? They, were, they put that on display, showed how they tried to push through, and people love them. They came out looking better than our nice, neat corporate deck that seems all perfect. So 360 learning is a great example. That's amazing. So phenomenal story. I, I now know I want to go and check out that series. It sounds, it sounds great. And the question that comes off the back of that is how, how do you know what to share? You know, so um, I, I guess the crux of the question is how do you find the point of resonance? Cause do you start by trying to find that point of, I feel seen uh, and, and you speak about that. But then, of course, you know, as marketers, we always have that 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 feeling of, you know, um, we're solving a pain point or we're saving, we're solving a challenge, you know, which in the case of an LMS, you know, might be like, I don't know, you know, a quicker way to make sure that everyone's tracked on their learning. And, and right, that's what right, we speak yeah. about in our marketing. You know, how do you would you know, do you find your point of, of resonance in like the day to day, the mundane or, or do you try and narrow down into yeah. solving the problem, solving a problem? I, I do think that, you know, we, we tend to flip our goals uh, on, on their head in, in a really unfortunate way, a lot in marketing. Um, there's something called Goodhart's Law. I don't know what you have to do in your work that somebody goes, there's now a law named after you. Goodhart <laughs> has a law. So Goodhart's Law says that when a, uh, when a target, sorry, when a metric becomes a target, it ceases to be a good metric. In other words, when the numbers become our goals, they cease being good numbers to even track. Oh, grow leads by whatever, 5,000 people a month. Yeah, I can put names in a database all the live long day. That's not actually the goal, right? That's a little piece of the whole process. And also not all names in the database are created equal, right? Mm -hmm. What happens next? Are they converting into customers? Are they evangelizing our brand, et cetera? So what we tend to do is we make the numbers or the stats our goals. Mm -hmm. But those are the ways we measure progress towards a goal. And every goal sounds like some plain language explanation of a change you want to make, mm -hmm. fix our churn, grow the top of the funnel, or better, someone else's change. Teach our audience how to be better podcasters for the next 30 days through mm -hmm. our blog. Create the most helpful blog in the world for marketers who podcast. Those are goals. How do you measure the progress towards the goal? Well, you have numbers at your disposal. You also have qualitative data. You have other forms of data. Data doesn't mean numbers. It just means information stored for later use. So being proudly data-driven and then only looking at numbers is not really being data-driven because you're looking at one type of data. So looking at all types of feedback and inputs, you measure your progress towards the goal. So what's the goal? It should sound like some flavor of make a difference. You know, it could be for you, should be, I think, for your audience. So that's one hurdle we can get over is how we goal set can help us resonate more deeply. Because instead of anchoring to whatever tactic promises us this result, we focus on this change we'd like to create for our audience. 
And how you go about that is you really don't act like a marketing expert. You act like an investigator on behalf of half of your audience. Because you're like, what problems stand in their way? What pain points do they feel? Is there a mindset shift they need? Whereas everyone's given out steps like a blueprint. Well, it doesn't matter if you show up to those tactics with a bad mindset, maybe we shift their mindset first, then give them some tactics. So focus first to figure out this resonance idea on articulating an actual goal, make a difference or your version of that. Mm -hmm. And then use the numbers, use the metrics to measure your progress towards it. And if you don't hit the numbers, you're not like, what can we do next quarter to hit those numbers? You're like, what can we do next quarter to make a difference? And what we should see is the numbers should go up. Interesting. That's fascinating. And like, I don't mean to put this in a box, but I guess my place, my head goes to a place of like OKRs and stuff like that. I mean, is that a version of that that you would recommend? I mean, I don't want to go into the weeds too much on this, but I mean, do you have an opinion on that way of setting goals? On which way of setting goals? Uh, objectives and key results. Um, if you're not familiar, that's okay. Oh, oh okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, OKRs. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I worked for Google. Uh, for yeah, time. I was going to say. <laughs> I was very indoctrinated. Here's Listen. <laughs> okay. All right. Hold on here. There's literally a book about OKRs that came out of Google. Google won because they hired insanely talented people mm -hmm. who were insanely interested in what they were doing or motivated to get the A plus. Mm -hmm. Like OKRs were a chore. At Google. Look, I have one department experience and one person's experience in that department. I was in sales when I was there. time all we were doing was checking a box like the company that birthed this idea it was red tape it was like okay fine i'll fill out my okrs can i please go back to talking to my clients now interesting, interesting. you know it's like 360 reviews we gotta like write it's like okay you interacted with me five times this quarter through our meetings uh so joe i'm gonna ask you to review me mm -hmm. and what are you gonna do if you're good well if you're like me and you have an english literature degree you're gonna make stuff up to get <laughs> past the point where you're doing something that feels like a corporate chore and I can get back to my work, right? Mm -hmm. So here, Joe, here's your review. Mm -hmm. Yes, OKRs are a tool and they can be used well or they can be used poorly. I would argue our department at the time I was at Google used them very poorly. Maybe engineering or someone else I didn't interact with did a lot better. Mm -hmm. um, that is absolutely an okay way of looking at it. But mm -hmm. the objective is the goal and the key result is the metric, right? So your objective is, you know, my, my overriding mission for all of my work is to help other people make what matters. That's the why. Mm -hmm. And the how changes every so often. Right now, the how is a very long-standing how, which is help people understand how to resonate. And part of that is to demystify the creative process. And part of that is to tell stories of people who aren't just throwing resources at the problem, but are resourceful mm -hmm. about their problem solving. You know, I have this well-defined in a document. So that, those are my objectives. Right. And the key results might be like, you know, I'd like to see X number of dollars per month or per year to survive. Mm -hmm. I'd like to grow my email list to a certain level because I think that attracts sponsors or I think that is a, a, a useful number of people for this mission we're on. You know, it's not going to be a million people because a million people don't care about what I say. But what would be a reasonable saturation point? Um, those are maybe the key results. But also in those key results is every time I send an email, I, I call it getting my two. I want two unsolicited, passionate responses, not a retweet on Twitter, not a like on LinkedIn or a comment saying, thanks for this week's newsletter. I want to hear two either areas of pushback that people have or like, wow, this spoke to my soul. I feel seen kind of stuff, mm -hmm. whether it's to me or out to the public 
with me mentioned too. That's it. You know, thousands of people on the email list. I want to get my two because one is an outlier. Two data points, however, makes a trend. Mm -hmm. And I'm satisfied with that. So that's a key result. So I think it can work, but I'd caution against treating OKRs as a silver bullet because even right. the company that created that <laughs> wasn't. <laughs> nice. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying because, you know, I, my brain went in a certain direction there and I'm, I'm glad to sort of be brought back on it. And, sure. and also, you know, there's, there's so many lovely comments coming through. So I just want to say that Kelsey has sort of acknowledged you putting the links in the chat, like just saying what a pro you are. Uh, <laughs> and you got Sophie saying, oh, my God, can I please have Jay sitting next to me once a week for motivation, please? That's called uh, that's called Unthinkable. That's the show that is literally... <laughs> My, my newsletter and my show, I promise you, it is trying to give a lot of people a kick in the pants and look, I'll level with you all because you seem like positively lovely people. <laughs> um, I, I get paid by the number I say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I say Absolutely. that phrase. Yeah, spot on. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Joe, Joe, Joe's <laughs> just paying me in chuckles. That's it. <laughs> I, here's what I'll say. A lot of business content coming out of B2B, I'm disillusioned by. A lot of business content and business writers and thinkers and speakers, et cetera, they wanna remind you of what you don't have and like prey on your fears. And then they promise to give it to you. I, I, my favorite stuff reminds me of what I can do and then pushes me to go do it. And so that's the stuff I'm trying to emulate. It's like, we already have what we need. I don't think we're putting it into action. I think sometimes we lose sight of it. I think sometimes we're not articulating it correctly. Like that translation from internal idea to output is somehow broken or not as well refined as we can do. So if you're picking up what I'm putting down today, that's what I'm trying to emulate with my show and my content. But I'm also trying to introduce you to other voices and have you go follow them. It's like actually a win from this conversation is don't go follow my stuff. Don't do that. Go make something, right? Go like bring your full self to whatever it is you're making and make it better. That's a win for my work. I love that, dude. Thank you. No, it's um, it's a special person who sort of has a mindset like that, you know, and I really appreciate it. Also, don't worry. Do you want to rifle through the questions? Yeah, I feel bad. There's absolutely. like some piling up. Absolutely. Do do yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we got we got one from Paul here. So Paul says, uh, "What are the essential aspects to making online advertising, uh, for example, social media, not feel like advertising, but a connection with the audience uh, for it?" I feel like what, uh, what a story is, again, another term we maybe have lost sight of, story has become a buzzword in marketing, which is odd, because it's kind of like the culinary world of you know, chefs and cooks making food or cooking a buzzword. It's like, it's just supposed to be the job, isn't it? Storytelling is just supposed to be the job. So what a story is, is just a, a communication vehicle for solving a problem. And typically what we don't do, and it sounds a little odd to say, is we don't agitate the pain enough. We don't increase the stakes. We don't add tension to the way we speak. And I, I have two very young kids at home, age three and six months. So I'm immersed now in very simple storytelling structure. And it's almost like if we went back to it, we could then add the complexity back in our work or maybe not ever need it. Very simple story structure is just status quo, tension, resolution. I call that the one simple story. The itsy bitsy spider went up the water spout. Not a story, statement of fact, description of something, that's most advertising. Mm -hmm. But down came the rain and washed the spider out. What happened to the spider, right? Tell me, I need, I need closure to this story. Well, out comes the sun and spider did his thing, right? That's a story. <laughs> And whether it's advertising copy or a whole long essay that you've written out to act like content, 
whatever it is you create as a marketer, adding in that tension and really assuring people that you understand what they're going through, you understand what they're struggling with, and you have a vision for the better way. And the vision for the better way is not buy from you. The vision for the better way is some kind of approach, philosophy, system, whatever, right? You know, I, I mentioned HubSpot. They were really good at this. The old playbook is broken. Stop interrupting. Mm-hmm. Why? Because here comes this tension that threatens that playbook. Your customers hate it. The internet gives them options. They get around you. They can't stand you. So what's the vision for a better way? Make marketing people love. Create value. Don't just describe value. That's marketing. Oh, by the way, we have tools to help you do that, right? So you get to this nice, oh, by the way, upsell mm-hmm. moment. And so I think that I would start there is what is the three act story structure your brand is telling everywhere? And is that getting into the advertising copy? Nice. I like that. I love that. I'm, I'm writing it down as you speak. Uh, <laughs> there, there are a, a bunch of questions, as you rightly pointed out, Jay. So I, I, I feel like I want to delve into everything, but, you know, obviously we're, we're constricted by time. So sure. I'll make sure we've got the opportunity to uh, answer some questions. So we've got Ahmed who asks, uh, can you walk us through how you stay in touch with your market? i.e. your your research process yeah i love talking about this i'll try to keep it short because i do want to get through everybody's questions um and if i don't answer your question shoot me a tweet and maybe we can do it publicly so the community can follow along or if you're on linkedin we can do it there um thank you i i think of it as i'm solving a big problem but i have more questions than answers so uh, as my friend andrew davis says i'm trying to ask questions google can't answer and then launch a quest so i'm an investigator i think of it as I have some expertise, but I am not in the business of handing that to people. I am actually trying to act less like someone who has the answers and more like somebody in pursuit of them. And the more I act like that, the more it becomes real. The more I'm willing to ask questions I genuinely don't know the answers to of my podcast guests, of myself, of our community as marketers. And so I use my um, newsletter as a way to aerate ideas that feel knee jerk. It's like, I, I came up with this this week or I observed something recently and it's a knee-jerk reaction or an anecdote or a memory, and it's from my perspective. And I'm helping myself try it on for size, and I'm helping kind of pressure test that initial idea, which might balloon into something bigger to inform a larger, higher friction project later, right? And you can do this with Twitter. You don't need a newsletter. You can do this with LinkedIn. You can do this with conversations. It's, I have some ideas or questions, and I'm trying to aerate and pressure test them in a place that feels low stakes and low friction. And for me, it happens to be Twitter plus my newsletter, I guess. The higher friction, higher stakes thing is my podcast because my podcast drives revenue. My podcast drives leads. My podcast is harder to make than a newsletter <laughs> edition. Um, so I want those ideas to either come from other people, so I'm telling their story, or maybe they come from the newsletter or Twitter, but it's been pressure tested so I know how to articulate these ideas or I know these are worthy ideas or questions to pursue. And so I'd sum this all up like this, Ahmed. Have a practice, however you define it. Create things that no one can say no to you for creating them. You control them. It is independently yours. Even if it's 10 to 15 minutes a week where you're shipping something and your ideas will get better just because you're forcing yourself to articulate it. And as a bonus, if a couple of people start to give you feedback, that feedback loop becomes a virtuous cycle because not only are you improving by articulating, but they are improving your ideas by giving you new ones, asking questions, or you can see if it hit home for them or not right? Zero response is just as valuable as a big response because you learned, oh, wow, what I did didn't hit. Was it the way I articulated it? Was it the actual idea itself? You're on that kind of meta investigation, whatever the topics are or questions are you're investigating. You're also investigating how best to articulate all your things. 
Amazing. That's awesome, dude. Thank you very much. It's sometimes it's, it's hard to delve in further on certain things. Of course, yeah. the delivery guy would, would uh, knock right now, but um, you know, that, you know, you articulated that really quite wonderfully. So thank you. Uh, we've got the next question from Ed uh, and Ed asks, uh, can you think of any brands that did resonate well, but never got on the fire about eyeballs for some reason? That would be one hell of a storytelling feat, right? It's like I found this company, <laughs> yeah. wasn't able to stand out at all, but I found them. Uh, <laughs> so I think a lot of times this is a business model to audience model problem. What I mean by that is the thousand true fans idea that we hear about from Kevin Kelly, you don't need a thousand true fans. We define that poorly. I have a thousand subscribers. Those aren't your true fans. Like we're talking about the lifetime value of the individual, of the audience. Uh, Seth Godin, smallest viable audience. Well, we haven't defined viable. We've just defined smallest. Mm -hmm. What can support your business model? I don't make money through CPM advertising on my podcast because I'd make pennies every yeah. month. I need to make thousands of dollars to survive every month. And so what I do is I drive leads to other projects, making shows for brands, public speaking, um, you know, and, and also direct sponsorship dollars. But those sponsors are coming to me for like kind of a retainer, custom content association and affiliation idea, not how many thousands of downloads, here's the cost per thousand, that's what we're paying you for inventory. Yeah. Although I give them ads as well as part of the package. Um, so I think what we're, we're really, what I'm saying is there are tons and tons of companies out there you've never ever heard of that are resonating really deeply. Mm -hmm. And they've been able to evolve their business models such that they optimize for lifetime value of every individual and they increase the revenue and the referrable, you know, kind of flywheel from a small group. Mm -hmm. And there are even more companies out there that we've never heard of that have not crossed that chasm, that refuse to update how they sell or what they sell and how they make money to match the fact that they have a small audience. What they're doing is building a business model that only works with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's a, that's a tough pill to swallow because it sounds like a marketing problem. I actually think it's a leadership problem. I think it's a vision problem. It's, a, it's an entrepreneurial problem. Um, so I do think there's a lot of companies that have fallen victim to what you're saying, but I don't think it's because they didn't have enough people. I think it's because they haven't figured out how to build a business for a small, but passionate group of people. Right. And if you don't have passion at all, can't help you. Right. That's actually part of the journey <laughs> I'm on. But let's say you had a hundred really passionate people. You should be able to build a business off of that, but the business has to be built around that. You can't say I'm going to build a business model based on, for example, CPM, but that yeah. only works if I have a million downloads in my podcast, but I'm really niche and focused on this tiny audience. Yeah. It has to follow suit. And again, I think that's a big leap for a lot of entrepreneurs or a lot yeah. of business builders. So it, it goes against the paradigm of, of build big and, and grow fast. You know, we, we got to ask though, like to what end, right? I, like I, It's bonkers. It's, what it's, is... What is enough? I, I think I used to believe that enough for me is some kind of destination in the future. Mm -hmm. But what I've come to believe, this is not my quote. And for the life of me, I remember hearing it and I can't find the source. So if you know <laughs> who said this, let me know. I've Google searched it. All that comes up are my own tweets and writing about this quote. <laughs> I, wanna, I wanna attribute it. It's not mine, but I've benefited from this idea, which is enough is, is, not a, is, a, enough is a decision we make, not a destination we reach. Nice. And we, so enough doesn't need to be, we're the next billion dollar business. Enough doesn't need to be growth open-ended. Enough can just be enough. We have to define it for ourselves. And I think that influences everything we do, including marketing. Mate, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, 
I think it's a conversation that we all need to be having a lot more in business, um, you know, on, on so many levels, whether it's economic uh, workload or indeed environmental as well. You know, I mean, enough works on so, so many levels. So thank you for sharing that. Um, again, we could speak for hours about it, undoubtedly. So <laughs> thank you. Um, let's take the question from Claire. Um, in fact, let's take the question from Mary very quickly, who says, who has the dog? Uh, so Jay, you have a dog. I also I have a have beagle, a uh, beagle mixed breed, but the, nice. this part is very pure beagle. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, my dog's decided to be quiet today, but he is periodically walking in and out of the room. So if you see the lighting change, that's why. Uh, so uh, the question from Claire. Uh, Claire says, uh, how do you resonate with contacts when you're selling a necessary product rather than something they want to have? Yeah, I mean, this is something that my friend Margot Aaron focuses on. Margot writes incredible stuff on her newsletter, and she's built the copy workshop with Seth Godin's Akimbo. Um, Margot writes about, you know, how do you get people to care about things that are good for them, but they don't necessarily see it or care already? Like in her estimation, it's really hard to get people to care about things in their own self-interest. And we're seeing that play out on a global scale throughout the pandemic, right? So I, I think that you have to meet them where they're at. So I think about this as a keynote speaker a lot. When I walk up on a stage or deliver a speech end to end virtually, it's easy for me to leap right to the big idea. Resonance, be their favorite, whatever, be irreplaceable. And I might bring some people along with me, but those people were close. What, what is far better, and I think maybe this speaks to your question is to go all the way back to where you're at and just like talking to your boss, start with what you already know you want. And so if there's a divide between what you know your customers want and what you are offering, then you're now in the change business, which I think most of us are in. We're in the change business. And the way you create change is not to run around screaming for people to change or demanding it or handing out statistics saying, look, the change is good for you. Mm. And this is what hurts me about so much of the pandemic communications mm. is there's only so many people you're gonna win over by saying, here is the data. Mm. We need a better story. And, the, and when I say better story, I don't mean a grander narrative or more artfully told story in a, you know, some sort of Hollywood studio sense. I mean, our stories have to be able to match the stories running in people's heads already mm -hmm. about how they see the world, about how they think of something, about what they want. And then as we match them, we can lead them away or lead them towards something that's actually in their own self-interest because we're painting it as this is actually in line with what you already want. So an example might be my first book was about breaking from best practices, but a lot of people love them. A lot of people love best practices. So yeah. I can't walk up on a stage and say, damn, the best practices. <laughs> I've went over some people, but not enough to really influence change. So I need to get up on stage and say, look, we all want to do our best work, mm -hmm. right? We all want that. Okay. And here's how we're going about it. X, Y, and Z largely summed up as best practices. Mm -hmm. We're in agreement, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, here are the problems with that. Have you noticed them? And some people go, oh my God, I've never noticed that. And some people go, you're telling me, speaking of my reality, this guy should meet my boss, right? But either way, it's like, I've revealed the problems with our status quo, our approach of getting what we want. So what else can we do? Well, consider this new big idea, consider this new product, this new philosophy. Here's an example of someone who did it and what it looks like. Let me break down how you can do it too, right? So there's this meta structure to storytelling that's very useful, but it starts with just like convincing your boss, I'm aligned with you. I know what you want. I'm speaking yes. to what you want. And I'm going to walk you every step along the way, as tedious as it sounds to me, because I've already done it and it's instant in my brain. I'm going to make sure you take that same journey over time with me to where I want you to get to. And that, that is the change business. 
but it has to start by aligning with them. Nice. I love that. So that's, I mean, it's the, it's the green smoothie example again, right? You yeah, know, so exactly. it's, it's the same, yeah. but in a slight different context. I love, I love that you can use that tool in, in, in a couple of different ways. Thank you. Uh, so I think this will be the last question uh, from Katya. I think there's also a couple of questions that have sort of been covered uh, in, in other questions. So sure, I sure. think uh, this is the last one. So we've yeah, got yeah. one from Katya. He says, uh, does resonance need to be consistent? Uh, if so, do you create consistent resonance? Uh, sorry, if so, how do you create consistent resonance when you have online and offline presence at a big organization, with lots of layers, lots of staff, and lots of teams, et cetera? Sure. Um, you become just like sharing an idea to an audience, inescapably relevant and irresistible and obvious. And the way you do that is not to change the whole company. The way you do that is to create case studies that feel like, wow, this is how everybody around us needs to operate. And the way you do that is to do it yourself or do it with a small team and then hold that up to some other team or other stakeholder, right? It's bit by tiny bit by tiny bit. And if that is frustrating or painstaking for you, if you don't like that, if that drains you of energy, instead of gives you energy, excuse me, you really have two choices. One is admit that that's what the organization is. It's a large organization that's gonna be like turning an aircraft carrier instead of a speedboat. And that's what you're in for over time. You're in for it for the long haul or find a new job, right? <laughs> Seriously, you're gonna die someday. And if it's maddening to you to continue down that road and feel like you're wasting time, we, I would assume we're mostly having our basic needs met. Hopefully we're all eating and have a roof over our heads. We're in the uh, incredibly privileged positions to pick where we work. So pick a different boss or pick a better place to work entirely. Um, those are the only two options. It's slow drip by drip campaigns, slow drip by drip change and case studies internally to influence and change with new stakeholders, you know, either higher up the food chain or across the departments or, or business you work in, or admit that that's actually not the type of change you wanna create in this world and you wanna go independent or work for a different company. Um, consistency is everything quantity versus quality question came up in the, in the comments from Dan, or uh, excuse me, from Ed. Mm -hmm. um, quantity and quality are not in conflict. I think they're in beautiful harmony. Quantity leads to quality. The more you do something, the better you should be at it. If you have five hours a week to write, it starts out feeling very sloppy. It starts out feeling like you're hamstrung and can't do great work. But over time, those five hour chunks, you get better at writing articles that are amazing within five hours before you ever need to ask for more resources, right? You know, the practice gets you to something better over time, the reps you're putting in. It's the same thing internally. More change comes from previous change, right? But it's quantity-based. It's a lot of little things that add up to something looking like a wholesale change, but it won't happen overnight. You're in for a slog. So if you don't want that slog, you need to look elsewhere. Dude, unbelievable. Mate, thank you very, very much. I mean, I feel like we've covered a lot of ground there, but in, in such a fantastic, fantastically articulate way, you, you, you've created, I think, a lot of ideas and a lot of brains today. So uh, thank you for that. Um, I feel like I want to spend a lot more time with you <laughs> as, a, as a human. Let's, so, uh, let's do know. it again. We'll do, you know, once once I have more clarity around this resonance idea, we can do it again. Yes, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm well game. Um, so uh, thank you, Jay, and thank you everyone for watching today uh this morning this is the last webinar of of 2021 so uh you know just thank you so much for a fantastic year um this is the best job in the world as far as i'm concerned so you know i'm, I'm grateful for every one of you uh facilitating me being able to live this life and i hope in turn i'm able to sort of create something that feels valuable safe 
welcoming uh, for, for all of you. And also, you know, that we've done this together. So thank you. You know, I, I'm sure I could blab on for a long, long time, but um, that's the crux of where I want to get to. So happy Christmas, everyone. Thank you, Jay. And thank you to everyone uh, for this year. Um, I hope you have a sterling new year. Uh, season six will be announced at the beginning of next year. Um, I, I secretly announced our first speaker, uh, who will be Mark Ritson, who will be returning in February. Uh, so that's awesome. And just have a, a quality Christmas, everyone. Uh, take care. And uh, thank you very much. Thank you all. See you soon. Take care.